Hello and welcome to 73 and Sunny, the podcast about the journey of getting things just right. We talk to uh, tech, sales, and marketing leaders about how they're growing, dialing in best practices, and getting closer to that sweet spot. We are honored to have the opportunity to speak with our guest today. His content around sales, detaching from the outcome, and triathlons is prolific. You've seen him on your LinkedIn feed, and he may have even snuck into your TikTok for you page. Founder of Braun Training, the man who can help you have fewer rejections and more conversations. Josh Braun, thank you for being with us, Josh. That's a lovely introduction. You should, you should call me every morning and do that. I'll, I'll be in such a good mood. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That, I, we, we are so grateful to have you on. Um, obviously, you've been in our, uh, our LinkedIn feeds for so long, and, and your content is just engaging, and everyone on our team is enamored with you. So we're, we're grateful to have you. Um, one thing we don't get to hear about is your background a lot. Um, would you mind kind of sharing just where you started out and how did you get started sharing your experience versus doing it? How, how did that process take place? How did I get started as a salesperson or as a content creator or where would you like me to begin? That, that one and then the next one. So where did you get started okay. in sales and then how did you get into content creation? Yeah, so my first sales job was teaching kindergarten kids how to read and write. And it turns out that that's a tough sell to antsy little five-year-olds. And what I learned from that experience is that teaching and selling have a lot of similarities because you have to entertain and inform people. So my roots are in storytelling. Um, from there, I went to uh, Nickelodeon Studios where I worked on a show called Clarissa Explains It All, starring uh, Melissa Joan Hart, the teenage witch. And when I say worked on it, I mean I was cutting up cheese and fruit for her and tutoring her when she wasn't running her lines. But again, uh, roots in sort of entertainment and storytelling. And then I accidentally fell into sales because I heard someone over talking uh, in a gym about some startup teaching kids online. And I interjected myself into that conversation. I dropped out of my doctoral program. I was on track to be a principal. And he hired me as a salesperson, even though I knew nothing about selling. Wow, that's an incredible start. I had no idea. I never... And people from my generation, of course, remember Clarissa explains it all. So you, so you were teaching her, you overheard something about a, a startup for teaching and that got you into sales. And, and then how did you get into, how did you evolve from that into where you are today with content creation? Yeah. So I, uh, worked for child you and was mentored by a gentleman by the name of Scott Udine, who was one of these, I guess you could say natural born salespeople. And I just absorbed and watched on um, what he was doing. But when I tried to do what he was doing, it never really felt good on my soul. He was a very charismatic guy. Um, he was selling in a very traditional way. The books he was giving me to re read were the, were the traditional uh, books. And it just never really felt um, good on my soul. And so I started reading um, other types of books, um, books on psychology, uh, books on like marriage therapy, books on how to make people feel heard and empathetic. And I started learning a little bit more about how to listen and how to ask questions without actually wanting anything initially, just this, sort of letting go of assumptions and letting go of the idea that we had something that someone needed, but to have a hypothesis. And it turns out when I started doing that, um, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, people just opened up and had more conversations with me, which sort of naturally led to sales because the more you know, honest conversations you have with people, the more they lower their guard the more they share, the more opportunity you have to, to make sales. And so the, the approach that I had was sort of born out of this uh, idea that I, it just wasn't feeling good 
for me that the sort of books that I was reading and, and was trying a, a different approach. And then that, that content creation uh, came when my boss asked me to, to start to teach sales to 1871, which was a startup incubator in Chicago. And I fought her, I didn't want to do it. But she goes, hey, you got a teaching background. You're doing really well with sales. Why don't you just teach people what you're doing? So I put together like a little deck and I taught people how to cold email, how to cold call. And I really enjoyed it. Like it really lit me up because my, my roots are in teaching. And uh, it was very fulfilling. And I started like codifying that stuff into a guide and uh, started putting some of that stuff on LinkedIn. And people, you know, liked what I was, you know, writing. And that made me feel good. And I kept doing more of it. And so that's kind of, that's how it got going. That's how it got going. That's really interesting. I have a teaching background too. I have a master's in education technology. And I found the same principles. And now when I think about the content that you put out, it does still follow a lot of the same methods for how you put together a lesson plan where you introduce an idea and then you model it. You, you're always doing modeling. So it's fascinating that that's, that's where it came from. Cause I think about that all the time too. And, and how, you know, how you might even lay out a presentation would be to make a statement to, to model how, and, and then check for understanding, right? You're always, you're always doing the same thing. So the, the, the exact way that you would design a, uh, a lesson plan is also kind of the way that you're teaching online too, which is interesting. Yeah. It's a little different. Like uh, online, what I do is I am constantly collecting stories. Like I, I have a spreadsheet on the left-hand side are stories that I collect. So, sometimes it's a guy that knocked on my door trying to get me to trim my tree. Sometimes it's something my wife said, sometimes it's something I read, a billboard that I saw. And I collect these stories. And then the second column, I have an idea of how to relate it to some sales thing that I want to teach. And then all I do on, on post mostly is I'm, I'm, for the most part, bridging the story to the lesson using some kind of phrase like, why am I talking about this? What's the lesson here? What's the point? Why am I mentioning this? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm constantly on the lookout for stories only because I know that stories are, they're a really good mechanism to teach things. You could, you could teach things by telling people things on a PowerPoint slide. Um, or if you wrap it up in a story, it's just a little bit more interesting, a little more memorable. Sometimes if my wife will say something, I'm like, you know what, John, we got to, we got to get on video and I have a great way to teach this concept that you just, you know, you got into this big discussion with your mom and you guys had this argument and we can use this as an example and how to change it or whatever. And so I'm always looking for ways. I'm, I'm just constantly on the lookout. The antenna is always up for like, whether it's my dog or a knock on the door or my neighbor or something, it, it can get a little tiring. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I'll be at the dinner with my wife and they'll give us like a, a tiny little napkin. I'm like, you know, that's interesting. Why is this a tiny napkin? She goes, not everything has to be a post. And just enjoy, we could just enjoy the dinner. <laughs> and he asks if you want dessert and you go, go on. Right, go, right, go on. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to get your take. I've noticed, and I don't know that this, is, this might be anecdotal, but I've noticed that there's a sentiment on LinkedIn and on feeds for people who are in business and in sales that uh, it's getting harder to book meetings, that the same traditional outreach cadences of emails and calls and, you know, LinkedIn connection requests and those things that worked in the past are, aren't working to book meetings today. Do, do you accept that premise? And if so, what's changed? Well, the one thing that's changed is that it's more crowded. So back when I started doing this 15 years ago, maybe longer than that, um, it was, there weren't tools to automate, for instance, follow-up. And there was not that many people sending cold emails. So if you sent a really good cold email, and I have these in my guide, you can see the emails I was sending 15 years ago to Prudential and Geico and McDonald's and Disney. These were not like 
emails with follow-ups. These were like emails and people responding, you know, because it was a little bit unique. Um, there's a really famous graph graphic that I show when I do my workshops. It's a heat map of a website, and it shows the banners on the top and the copy in the middle. And it shows that all the eyeballs were on the banners when they first came out because they were animated. They were kind of new. So when someone got a cold email that was highly relevant and personalized, that was kind of a new thing. They're like, wow, this guy's really thoughtful. And those emails were very thoughtful. I mean, they were, it took about 15 minutes each to write. They were heavily researched. They were very thoughtful, very selective of, as to who we were um, going after. We weren't mass blasting like 100 people. There weren't like things dumping out of a database. I had like, okay, these are the 20 people. These are the 30 people. We were very thoughtful and deliberate, and we put a lot of work into the emails and even showed like little proof of concepts. We had like a 70, 80% response rate. Um, so what ends up happening now is there's so many tools that make it easy to send all uh, emails to people and quote unquote, personalize them at scale, but you lose that caring part of it a little bit. And I think it comes through because you end up rushing the thing that matters most, which is why should anyone care about this relative to what they have? This is not about personalization. No matter who you reach out to, someone is getting the job done today. And most of the emails that I see written are trying to sell sneakers to people that already have sneakers. There, there's nothing meaningfully different about anything you're bringing to the table, right? It's almost like, hey, uh, Josh, all right, we got these great sneakers. Well, I, I have sneakers already. Got this great, we, I got one of those. No matter what you're selling, someone's getting the job done today. So what's missing is, what I call poking the bear, this idea of being able to ask a question that shines a light on something someone does not know about a problem they might not know they had, right? So the, the example that I tell about this, and I think it's really relevant for cold emails, is I don't know, four or five years ago, I was in the mall with my wife. I didn't need anything. I was killing some time. We were going to grab some dinner afterwards at True Food in the mall. I just walked into a fit-to-run store, not needing anything. So if the store associate said, we got these new sneakers, which is what most code emails say. I would have said, I'm, I'm not interested. I got sneakers. If she said they're on sale, they're half off. I'm not interested. If she said they got this new carbon sole, they're stiffer. I'm not interested. Don't care. But she didn't do any of those things. She looked at my sneakers. She goes, are you a runner? I said, yes. She goes, you training for any races? I go, actually, I'm, I'm training for my first half marathon. And then she said, have you ever had a running gait test? And I said, what's that? And moments later, I'm on a treadmill. And I have video of this if you want to see it. She freezes the frame and zooms into my ankles and goes, notice anything about your ankles? And I go, yeah, they're a little overpronated. She goes, yeah. I go, so? She goes, well, the problem is if you run in sneakers that are not made for pronated feet, you can get injured on long distance runs. You can get plantar fasciitis, runner's knee. If you'd like, I could take a look at your sneakers to see if they're made for pronated feet. And about, I don't know, six minutes later, I'm spending $180 on new sneakers and insoles. That's what's missing in these cold emails. The, the sort of like, what's different relative to what I have? And why does it matter? And I think if you're able to zone in on that and a carefully crafted email, I don't think it's actually harder. I think it's easier because most emails don't do that. Most emails are rushed, scaled, and uh, very generic. But if you're a little thoughtful about who you select and you actually have a meaningfully different idea related to a problem people don't know about, you actually will be able to stand out in the sea of same. It's interesting because the alternative, which has been accepted, is it's, it's easier to send a thousand emails that have zero personalization and zero relevance, but that are going to get a, you know, an 11% open rate and maybe a 0.7% response rate or something, than to go through one by one and find something for 15, you know, it's going to take 15 minutes to put together. 
but you know, will ultimately net you the same, same amount, but you're, you know, the, maybe the, the next part of the relationship was harder. Uh, my, my question, you know, your strategies on what, what you just mentioned, which is kind of really listening, being present, detaching from the outcome, asking questions that illuminate, illuminate a problem. This is inherently difficult to automate. So where do you see, or how do you see AI affecting the engagement and follow-up process or the sales process? Yeah, I think every, everybody um, wants to automate and scale um, everything. So if, if you go ahead and blast out your emails in an automated way, you might get a 4% response rate, but that means 96 or 98% of people aren't responding. And you sort of burn through your total addressable market. I would think less about scaling and more about understanding the problem. Most sellers, when I give them, and we could talk about this, the infomercial test, which is tell me a little bit about how they're getting the job done today, specifically, and what sucks about it and why it sucks. And tell me so that I could actually see it. And we can go through this if you want to give more detail, but most sellers can't do that. So if you, if you can't understand their current state and why it really sucks, and you can't visually make me see that, um, you're not going to be able to write an email that's going to be relevant. I'll just give you a quick example. Imagine that your ICP is a guy who loves to cook four days a week. Specifically, this guy loves to make tomato caprese salad. So let's watch him make it, okay? There he is in the kitchen. He's wearing a brand new white apron. His name is Max. He's got a little beard. And he takes out his beautiful tomatoes and he puts them on his white countertop. And now he takes out his knife out of the butcher block and he's about to slice the tomato. And as he's slicing it, we can see that that knife isn't really that sharp. So as he's cutting into the tomato, it makes this splat sound. It gets all over the white apron. It's a little messy on the countertop and he serves it and it's a little messy too, but it's just for his family. So it's like no big deal. So he just keeps doing it that way until his wife one day says, we're having the Joneses over. And I told them you would make the tomato caprese salad and Mr. Jones wants to watch you make it. And he panics because he doesn't want to embarrass himself with the knife. So he goes to the mall Williams-Sonoma and he sees all these knives and there's so many of them, he doesn't know which one to select. They're all like 800 bucks. They're all Japanese steel. He's like, you know, I can't even decide. I'm just going to go back and I'm going to use my current knife and I'll just deal with it. But fortunately, at 11 o'clock at night, he sees this commercial for this knife that looks like it came from the future. It's cutting through cans. It's called the Ginsu knife. And it's like a half the price of these knives that he was looking at William Sonoma and he buys it. Now, when I was telling that story, you probably saw that visually in your head. When I give salespeople that test, nine times out of 10, they can't do it. They'll say things like, well, we streamline the process of the 360-degree workflow. I can't see that. That means you don't really understand it. That's because companies do product training, but not problem training. Hmm. So what they should be doing is bringing in a customer and doing what I call a show and tell. Meaning, have the customer show salespeople, not tell them on a PowerPoint slide, but show them how they were getting the job. Open up the Excel. Show me how you were calculating and running commissions before. Like, show me the tabs. What was the problem with that? Oh, how'd you resolve that? Oh, the salesperson had a dispute because they thought their cop was wrong. They couldn't see it. 
How'd you, how'd you deal with that? Oh, you had to go into the formula and look and see what happened. Oh, you cut and pasted it wrong. Oh, and you start to see like, oh my God. Then you can write an email that says, Bob, you're running comp for hundred plus people. You shouldn't have to open up five tabs, cut, mm -hmm. copy, and paste things from Excel into this to determine payouts, right? You can get very specific. And then when you do that, people are like, oh my God, that's my, I do that every day. Mm -hmm. Like, and then the brain naturally goes to what do you have? Right? So you're kind of skipping a step if you want to get to scaling and using AI. There's, there's, those are tools that can be useful, but you got to start before that. Um, you got to have some of that fundamentals. Like I'm taking the piano now. I just got a piano and I'm taking lessons. And the first thing I said to my teacher is, I want to learn The River Flows in You, which is a fairly beautiful piano song. And she's like, dude, slow, slow down. Why <laughs> you don't even know what a C, you don't even know what a C chord is yet. Yeah. So I am literally learning basic piano technique, having the wrists the cer certain way, using only the right hand, then only the left hand. There's fundamentals that are missing in, this, in the cold email copywriting stuff because it's so fun to scale stuff and automate stuff and, and to geek out on, you know, chat GPT and AI. Yeah. And so it sounds like before you, uh, before you do try to scale and automate everything, get your fundamentals down. Um, yeah, if you, if you can't get people to respond without scaling, you're not going to get people to respond when you do scale. Yeah. So on, on the topic of, of scaling that those skills, uh, you have something very entertaining that, uh, a segment on your, uh, social channels. I think it's mostly YouTube, but you can correct me that you call, I teach my wife sales where yeah. you and your, you and your wife act out sales scenarios. It's fantastic. It made me wonder when I was watching her, cause it, it really is great to see the two, the two kind of personalities. Um, it made me wonder, is there such a thing as a born salesperson or do you think anyone can do it with the right training? How do you feel about the nature and nurture aspect of sales? I do think some people are, they have a, a natural ability to be better um, listeners and more empathetic than other uh, people. I think there is some like, you know, natural ability uh, to it. Like I think in anything, um, but even if you have that natural ability, you can get very far if you find a product that you're really passionate about, right? So, so, so many salespeople that quote unquote, don't think they're doing great at sales. It's because they don't really know about the product. Like I'll just give you an example. There's a, there's a, a, a popular company that I do some training for called Snowflake um, and great company. And a lot of people work for them because they think they're going to have an exit and they're going to get like to be millionaires, but they don't really know like what a data analyst does or a data scientist, and they're cold calling data scientists. And they don't really like, like, I guess they, they think the product's okay, but they don't really like feel it. They don't really like, they're not excited or passionate about it. Versus like when I sold, before I became a sales trainer and coach, I was selling for a company called Jellyvision. The guy that created that company founded a game called You Don't Know Jack, which I played growing up and I got to meet the guy and he's like, hey, we can use this same approach to teach people about employee benefits. Like we'll use our snarky voice. We'll do like a Q and A. I'm like, oh my God, what? let me loose. Like <laughs> I, I was like on a, on a scale of one to 10, I was like an 11. Like I really believed in that product. And so I was, that comes through in your desire to get better versus if you're selling a CRM, you got to have some belief. And then there, of course, just like learning piano or anything, there are skills that you can learn 
the most of which is, is connecting dots, listening, not being pushy. You, know, you can learn those skills, but you have to believe in what it is that you're selling. Otherwise, it, it's, you kind of go through the motions. I, I'll give you just a quick story on this because it, it happened fairly recently. I was at a place called Tin Muffin uh, Cafe in Boca. It's on Palmetto Park Road. And I was eating lunch with my wife and I normally never get dessert because the server said, do you want dessert? And I would say no. But the server, um, I think her name was Debbie, I think. She comes to the table and this was her line. She goes, are you afraid of dessert? <laughs> and I go, well, I'm not afraid of it. She goes, um, I go, what do you have? She goes, well, we've got a lot of things, but the banana cake will change your life. Um, I have two kids and two cats and I don't even like bananas and this is life altering. I have no idea if we have any left. If you'd like, I can check. I'm like, yeah, bring it. It was amazing, right? So she loves the banana pie, banana yeah. cake. Like she loves the banana cake. You don't have to be like at an 11, but you can't be at a two. Yeah. You got to be like, you know, I, I kind of, I'm a little excited about this. And I think a lot of salespeople aren't selective of what they sell. They just like take the first gig. They think, oh, snowflake or whatever. They're going to they're gonna turn public. Um, but you got to sell this thing for a long time. So you may as well like what you're selling. Yeah, that's really interesting because it, it does allow people to, within the sales world, to uh, follow what everyone says, which is follow your passion and do what you care about. And, you will you know, if you love your work, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, that's not going to be the case every day. But if you are selling something that you honestly like being around, I remember one of my first jobs was working at the surf and working at a surf shop. And uh, they allowed you to use your paycheck for uh, goods before tax. So you could buy. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> I don't think I ever received a paycheck in the two years that I worked there because I've got, but I got wetsuits and surfboards, but none that never seemed like work. And obviously it was a part-time job, but uh, I was, if I could get into the back and talk about surfboards all day with people who are coming in and shopping surfboards, it was the idea of heaven for me. So uh Totally, you know, it's one of the underappreciated things, potentially looking at what you're selling. And some, someone could say, I can sell anything. And you, you probably put them in a position. And if, it, if they've gotten all the hard skills uh, that, you, that you talked about in technique with piano, they can probably sell anything. But for Do how long? Do you want to? Right. Do yeah. you want to? Yeah, and exactly. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you know, I'm gonna, I want to be very careful here. I'm not saying you have to be like, follow your passion, because I think if your passion doesn't make you money, that's, a, that's terrible advice. Okay, if you're passionate about piano or guitar or surfing, go do that. If you can find a product that you are passionate about, maybe not you would you, like, but you're, you're excited about it in some way. Like, this is yeah. a pretty cool thing. Um, same thing when I worked at Basecamp with Jason Freed. I was like, this is a great, like a departure from normal project management software. It's easy on the eyes. It's simple to use. Like, you have to have some semblance of like, I really like this because you're going to be selling it for a while. Okay, so this is a this is a uh, a question. It's obviously a hypothetical, and uh, let's assume there's some there's some uh, technological backup. But you, if you're on a deserted island, the only thing you that will get you rescued is meeting quota. What tools, software do you bring? And uh, let's assume you have some Wi-Fi, and assume you have a laptop. What what tools or software are you are are crucial to you in doing your job? Okay, so. I'm going to substitute tools and software because I know everyone loves tools and software for understanding the prospect's problem at a deep and crispy level, 
understanding the terrible, no good, very bad thing that happens if they stick with their current solution at a very detailed and crispy level. I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm on this deserted island and I have a product that solves one of the biggest problems that people washing their car have and don't know. So if I'm going to reach out to someone that's washing their car and I'm going to call them on the phone, I'm going to say something like this. Uh, Dan, I know you, you wash your car. Do you use, when you wash your car, Dan, do you use one bucket or two? One. A lot of people use um, one bucket. Um, what happens sometimes when you use one bucket is dirt settles to the bottom, can get on your sponge and scratch your car. Um, how are you reducing the risk of that happening to you today when you wash your car? I'm, I'm not. Yeah. So that, what I'm doing there is I'm asking a question. We didn't rehearse this, but I'm, I'm asking a question. They might say, well, what do you mean? Or well, I'm guessing I'm just walking in there. So were we, well, have you heard of a grit guard? No. Okay. Now we've started a conversation with, with a grit guard. It goes in your bucket. It's like a little grate and you rub your sponge on it and the dirt settles to the bottom of the bucket and off your sponge. Does that sound generally speaking like something you'd want to check out or not really? Like, I'm not filling your head with anything. I'm drawing it out of you. So I'm not starting with tech and I'm not starting with software. I'm starting with identifying something that's meaningfully different about a problem the prospect might not know about. From there, everything is easy. Then I construct neutral questions that get people to think differently if I'm making a cold call. Hey, Josh, um, when you edit your podcast, this is for a company called Descript. When you edit your podcast, are you using tools like Riverside? Or actually, I could ask you this, or your, or your tech guy. When you guys are um, doing your podcast, are you using tools like Riverside, Adobe Audition, and like a Final Cut Pro to like edit and promote your podcast? Yeah, Riverside. How's that been going? Good, generally. You're probably uh, familiar with Descript? I'm not. No, what's that? Uh, so are, you, are you being genuine? Do you not know what it is? No, I don't. Okay, so that's great. So now what I've done is I've created an opening. So Daniel, you know how when you edit your podcast now, you have to edit waveforms? With sure. Descript, with Descript, it turns it into a doc. And you can edit it like a Word doc. Which means you can edit them in like seconds versus minutes or hours. You can remove all the ums and ahs with a click. Generally speaking, does that sound some, like something that might be uh, of interest or, or you're too swamped to even take a look at something like that right now? Yeah. It, the, what, I, uh, what I liked was you didn't say, are you using an editing software for your podcasting? You're saying you're probably using one of these three. Did you know X? Yeah. And the reason for that is the number one objection people have when they make cold calls is I'm using Riverside for that. I already have a podcast. So I'm going to call that out. Yeah. Hey, I'm, are you using tools like A, B, and C to do this? How's that been going? Sounds like it's been perfect. You've probably looked into Descript. And then what does Descript allow me to do? It allows you to edit podcasts like Word docs instead of waveforms. So if you have all these ums and ahs, let's say this is actually pretty interesting. You might find this interesting. Let's say you mispronounce a word. What you have to do now is you have to go into your editing software and re-record it, splice it in. With the script, you actually just type in what you meant to say and it records it and puts it in in your voice without that's you having great. to record. It's unbelievable. It's magic. Yeah, that's really cool.
Yeah. So that's the idea is that is, is you're, you have to have that point of view before software and tools. Well, we, we, we only have a couple of minutes left. And again, we're really appreciative of your time. I wanted to give you a chance. Uh, I know you've built a reference book for salespeople that, that gets rave reviews. Many say it's the best money they've ever spent on sales training. It's not even a subscription. What you built is a, a one-time purchase that, that gets updated. And so you buy it and you get to keep, you know, rather than having to pay monthly. Can you tell us about the badass B2B growth guide uh, and, and maybe tell people where to get it? And we'll put a link in the, in the comments as well. Yeah. Ever since I started out in selling, I would put things that were working for me in a doc. So here's a cold email I wrote. Here's a positive response I bought. Here's something I learned that worked really well for me. These are like plays. This is not a course. That's an ongoing book of things that have worked for me. Um, they're compiled. They're categorized. I keep adding to them. I keep taking things out. It's a one-time fee, $197 lifetime access. Um, and if you have questions as you're going through it, I will answer them. And it's on my website, uh, joshbron.com slash shop. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It was extremely generous of you. Please follow Josh Brown on LinkedIn. Check out the Badass B2B Growth Guide. And thanks so much for being here, Josh. Thanks for inviting me, Daniel. Appreciate it.